0: pretty fascinating week in European rugby as six nation squads are announced and Welsh winger Louis Rees-Samit's seismic move to quit the sport of rugby in hopes of pursuing a dream in the NFL. Joining myself and the columnist to discuss all this as well as his native Portugal's prospects for the year of 2024 is European rugby journalist Francisco Isaac. Right, it's been a pretty big week in European rugby, actually, with some Six Nations squads starting to be announced. I think most of them have by this point, including England and Wales, uh, British and Irish Lions inception for the women's game, and most seismically, a Louis-Reese-Samit move that has sort of shaken the rugby world. We'll discuss all of that on the Rugby Paper podcast today. All the columnists are with me, alongside European rugby journalists, calling us from sunny Portugal, Francisco Isaac. How are you, Francisco?
1: I'm very good, better than you. It it seems like the weather here. Well, a lot of rain, but twenty degrees, so I can go to the sea if I want and <laughs> <laughs> just lay there.
0: We can go to the sea if we want as well, but I think most of us don't want to. <laughs> 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 Not in minus six weather. This is the <laughs> coldest day of our winter so far. The heating in my house is broken as well, which is really well timed. So I'm nice and wrapped up. Um, yeah. So obviously. We'll talk about your native Portugal in a little bit. Um, the plan was to talk about that for most of the episode, but we had some pretty big news coming out of the Louis rees uh corner. Very sudden. It sounded like the whole thing moved very quickly, but he's obviously jetted off to the NFL. Francisco, I'll start with you. How did you react to it all?
1: Well, it's look, I like Louis mm-hmm. Louis sammett but since the first time he mm-hmm. started playing in his first interviews, I've always thought that uh, he wanted to do a lot of things in the little time he has as a top athlete, which is like the max 20 years. And it's not strange for me because some guys here in Portugal that are, are very good at playing like rugby or basketball or handball sometimes get called, uh, do, do you want to fancy to go to football? Because maybe you might go to the fourth division. And with a bit of luck, you can go to the third and the second. Whom, and who might, might know, maybe the first one. And... It's not strange. I know for rugby, it, it is a bit, but Zamit is one of those new type of players that wants to do everything. He might come back to rugby because it's NFL is so hard to get in. And for to get in, you should be in American system since you are like, what, 10 years old and so on. So it's interesting for him. I think for the, the rugby landscape, people shouldn't do any bashing or worry because it's... It's one in a million, and you have a lot of good players uh, around to to replace him. I know he's a fantastic player, but it, no one wins by crying and doing doing the bashing. And I think for him, it's an opportunity to get be a better athlete and to understand there's limits to what he can do. If he can go to NFL and become a great player, then it's good for Revy because Revy can prepare any type of athlete to prosper in different sports. If he can't, he has always the door open, but he has to start from the ground zero.
2: Can, yep. can we say, first of all, by the way, that this probably wasn't a shock to readers of the rugby paper because a hat tip to Neil Fizzler signposted this nearly two weeks ago. Nobody seemed to pick up on it. Um, Warren Gatland certainly didn't seem to pick up on it, but uh, the fizz was on the case there. Uh, I think in one way it makes perfect timing. Um You know, I think it's a genuine ambition of his. He wants to give it a go. And this is probably the one window he's going to have. So good luck to him.
3: It's interesting. I saw, uh, just in terms of of the quality of athlete that he is, I saw uh, in one article a comparison between him and um, I think a current uh, running back, perhaps, and he's faster than... You know than than uh, one of the most prominent running backs in the uh, in the NFL. So as an athlete, I don't think that his credentials uh, are in question. You know we've seen how quick he is in rugby. We've seen his footwork. Um, I think that the problem that he's got is that he hasn't grown up with the sport, and that will um, you know be a be a, a significant handicap. And it's quite interesting in some ways because. I was thinking my initial um, reaction to it was that I don't like the idea of Rugby Union being cherry-picked by the NFL or anybody else very much. And I sort of see, you know, maybe it's a bit too conspiracy theory-ish, but, you know, Brett Gosper is now um, their man in, the NFL's man in Europe. And it wouldn't surprise me if there had been, um, you know, perhaps a nod and a wink to uh, to his bosses in, in the NFL to have a look at somebody like Samit. The counterpoint to this is is that the success rate, the conversion rate of people who've gone, players who've gone, rugby union players who've gone to uh, uh, the NFL, is, is, is very, very low. I think that the most successful one may have been Hayden Smith, the guy who was uh, at, at Saracens some time ago. Obviously, Christian Wade didn't make the cut. Um, and nor is anybody else who's gone. So, actually, rugby union players might be looking at it and thinking it's not such, <laughs> you know, such a, um, a, a a yellow brick road at all, you know. And um, I don't know, you know, Reece Samet will have to come back and pick up his career. And you're right, he's young enough to do so, and uh, he may gain from the experience in, you know, just a, in in a personal way. So um, good luck to him. But um, it it doesn't look like it's, it's going to be a massive exodus of rugby union players to NFL.
0: No, I think the interesting thing is, obviously, you mentioned Christian Wade there. And obviously, he came on the podcast and he sort of said what a lonely road, difficult road it was. And he spoke about it as if he didn't succeed with the Buffalo Bills. And that is the genuine narrative or the general narrative, rather. He also, despite the fact that he never made a, an in-season appearance for them, he was earning $500,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So even the road, and to say that Reece Summit is going to fulfil his NFL dream, yes, but obviously he's also going because it is incredibly, incredibly lucrative. We speak about um, rugby successes. There's an NRL player called Jordan Mylata, I think his name is. And he's he's an enormous guy, plays a different position to what we summit would. I think he's 166 kilos. He's on a $50 million contract, and he did make it. So to show the sort of two ends of the spectrum, obviously, to put Christian Wade right at the bottom isn't fair, because he did make Buffalo Bills squad. But whether you make it or not, it does seem like it's, it's incredibly, incredibly lucrative. Um, so I don't know, it... It'll be interesting to see. I One of the narratives is obviously, Brendan, you spoke about the timing, but is this a kick in the face, so to speak, to the British and Irish Lions, Chewy, do you think?
4: No.
3: I mean,
0: just, just to
4: pick up Nick's point about Hayden Smith, of course, Hayden Smith was an American who... Australian. Who, uh, he was Australian, was he? Yeah, Aussie. Yeah, cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> um um oh, so, no I'm sorry. I, I I I thought he sort of grown up with this sport more than more than others, but um but clearly not. Did he play he didn't play for the wallabies, did he? Um no.
3: I no, I don't think he did. No, I don't think he did. No, no.
2: Okay. I, I reckon there's one bloke who has made it, not made it, he got starts in the NFL, and that's a, a Kenyan guy called Daniel Adongo, who played for Kenya and the Sharks, and he played for Indianapolis, and I reckon he's the only absolute pure rugby convert who has started proper games in the NFL uh, as a, not as a, as a non-kicker.
4: I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a kick in the teeth for, for rugby at all. I mean, if he, if he, if he doesn't make it, if if somebody like Reece Samet with his natural gifts and, and he does have extraordinary pace, doesn't make it then, then, then clearly <laughs> there, there, are, there aren't too many out there who have the, who have the right ingredients. Um, Look, he's 22. Give the guy a break. You know, I, I mean, it's. Um, I, don't, I don't know what advice he's taken. I don't know who he's been speaking to. I don't know what green lights or amber lights he's he's had in terms of making this decision. There has been a fair bit of anecdotal evidence that the Kingsholm crowd sort of have fallen out of love with him a little bit. That they don't. They think he's been a bit distracted and what have you. Um, and and if you're playing in front of the shed, then that, that's that's the last thing you need because they really do throw their weight behind what they would call proper honest toilers. And if Reece Samit's got on the wrong side of them, it may have been a little bit uncomfortable for him up there. I don't know. That's purely anecdotal stuff from a couple of Gloucester supporters I know. Um, if he has been distracted, we now know what's been distracting him, um, I guess. But he's, you know, at 22... If he's got a bit of a dream, his dad, as I understand, is a big American football follower. Um, if this has been lurking around in the back of his mind for a while, then there is no better time for him to to try and do this. And and if he succeeds, fantastic for him. If he comes back to rugby, um, he may be sort of old. He'll certainly be older by definition. He may be a bit wiser. He may be a bit more of a rounded sportsman for his experience there. Um, but I, it does depress me that there have been quite a few negative comments and assumptions of failure and all this kind of thing, and, and a, a little bit of sort of almost glorying in the prospective failure to, um, um to win the big bucks over there from some quite ho- high profile people, and, and that disappoints me slightly. It's not a, I don't think it's a kick in the teeth for rugby at all. I I, I, th- I think it's just a, a great move, a great opportunity for him, and if he makes the most of it, then. I, for one, will, will take my hat off to him.
0: Francisco, yeah. what do you make of the sort of, I don't know how your NFL no- or American football knowledge is. It's probably better than mine. I have a passing knowledge. I think listeners who do know it will probably be able to tell that already. But by all accounts, Reece Samet's position would be a wide receiver. And you mentioned already that American football players, they they grow up around the game, age 10. Christian Wade, when he came on, said that the training days were 7am to 9pm 9 a- 9 and it was spent studying the game when you weren't out there training. Obviously, wide receiver is an incredibly comp- competitive player pool because it's players who are fast, agile, good on their feet, but powerful, um, but also have the knowledge that Reese Summit doesn't. Where are the sort of signs of encouragement there for someone who obviously has raw pace, has raw power, but doesn't necessarily have the inside knowledge of the game?
1: Look, my knowledge of the NFL nowadays is little. at once upon a time, I I followed a lot of the Patriots, the Packers, and so on. But from the standards I remember, when Wade went to the Bills, he he was faster than Zamek was at the time. If we compare the ages, and he didn't make out of the the training squads in the Bills. So, and the NFL since then has changed. It became it's more more quick now and the, the the part of the physical contest the i think Zamet is ready for it but it's this the pure spa, uh the, the, the pure speed i think the height might be a problem for him uh there's a lot of of talking going on and I, I think only after the four the first four months we can start doing a narrative or building something about an, an idea about what's going to be his life in, well, if he is going to have a life in the NFL. Because until he starts training and showing his skills or what he can do, we don't know. Uh, look, I played in Portugal with a guy that was Joe Gardner. He was like, I never saw anyone anybody kick as good as him in rugby. He would score in Portugal uh, penalty kicks from 70 meters distance from any position of, of the field and one day the nfl came to him uh gave him like an outstanding contract and he just moved to, to to north america but he didn't play one game in the nfl but they hired him to teach kids how to kick and players how to kick they wanted to bring him his, his rave experience and how mm. he dealt, dealt with the pressure his technique his knowledge and so on but for and when i talked with him he said but my problem was when I went to the NFL, I was like 10 years behind everyone else because they were there in the system. They are ahead. They played in the universities, in the college, and schools and so on. So they build up this kind of recognition. Zamit is big in rugby or it was becoming big-ish. But for American fans, he's a nobody because, well, it's a country... Big as hell. A lot of sports. A lot of people playing f- American football. And now a new guy comes to comes in, and they will say, "Okay, it's a It's just uh, another
3: new guy." It's, yeah. It's yeah. Uh,
1: I, look, the the expression I heard from an um, American friend of mine, he said he's a tourist. Yeah. <laughs> he's a tourist. And when
3: uh, when you say height as a wide receiver, I mean Zamit's about six foot three, I think. So he's not small. You know, I mean, he's quite a
1: big guy. No, it's the exa- Exactly. He is too big. Ah, uh, okay.
2: Okay. I think he's more yeah. likely position if he makes it, it will be as a, a kick returner, the guy who receives the kickoffs, because that is the most natural position for a rugby union wing. You get the ball, you're 70, 80 yards out. You've got four, you know, depending on how the blocking goes, you've got three, four, five blokes to beat. So I think that is, is more, whereas the wide receiver is quite a, technical position you've got to be plugged into exactly what your team and colleagues are doing and that will take more experience so we'll see i mean we'll see in the next couple of months how it works out
4: well as referees don't blow up for forward passes anymore every rugby (laughs) wins
3: i'll tell you what though i mean we we laugh about it but it is unbelievable (laughs) the stuff that's going on is just unbelievable you'd say that you know, almost 25% of passes, of, of, of tries are scored off, off, off forward passes. Ah, they're flat.
0: They're flat passes. They're all flat passes, Nick. All flat. Yeah. 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 Backwards out the hands. Backwards out the hands.
2: <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> what does <is> that <laughs> The biggest <laughs> lie in sport <laughs> history. How have we ever allowed refs and the world rugby to con people about this? It's a complete
4: lie. On, 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 on a long, floated pass, there is, I mean, it's physics, isn't it? I mean, there is a drift. So yeah, so, yeah but you can still uh, aim it backwards but,
2: to negate the drift. But, tr- but it, <laughs> but it's the,
4: it's the little contact passes which are, which which travel which travel eighteen inches, yeah. Um, and and they're, and they're trying forward. to apply the same laws of physics to something that's gone eighteen inches to and something that's gone twenty yards floated over the top. It's complete and
3: nonsense. And you know as well. I mean, as sh- as sure as eggs is eggs, they're being coached to do it. Oh, for they sure. Are. of course. Yeah. You're watching warm-up, you don't see a legal
2: pass in the warm-ups. Of, of course. <laughs> of course. Anyway, we got diverted. It a really particularly mat- bad weekend for
4: it it. it. it doesn't really matter because m- m- most English centres don't pass backwards or forwards. Um, <laughs> they, 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 just, they just they just crash it up and get a yard over the gain line.
0: Yeah. Oh, back on Manu Tuolangi. Uh, I heard you're gutted that he's injured for the start of the Six Nations. Yeah, I'm, spe- I'm
3: speechless with disappointment. This is, this is
0: another of your Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get Chris Hewitt saying he's speechless on a t shirt, please.
2: <laughs> doesn't work on a podcast, though, so, does
0: it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. We just got a confused listeners. Um, <laughs> just to sort of return to the course a little bit, I just had one more question on Resemmit before we move on. Obviously, very different incidents, but. You have Arundel extending his contract abroad. Foul potentially going to Racing. Reece Samet obviously leaving rugby and saying, you know, a temp maybe temporary goodbye to Wales Lions. Whatever may come with that, we don't know. Is there, are we treating these, I'll go to Brendan, are we treating these as separate incidents or is there a little bit of a correlation between interna- international rugby, between World Cup cycles, not necessarily being a pinnacle? No, that's
2: cycle? what it is. Three months after World Cup is when I think you're going to get these sort of moves because of the safety net of if it doesn't work, you can get back and still get back into World Cup connection. Or you've got somebody who's reached that World Cup mentally. They're, they're not re- quite retired, but they think That might be it in terms of international career and with rugby union. So now, what can I do? Where do I want to play? Where can I earn more money? Where do I want to live? So I think it's a pretty natural thing. I don't think I wouldn't be too alarmed by it. Uh, And they're all slightly, they're all in fact, they're very different um, uh, case you know case studies. So uh, no reason for alarm, but it happens after World Cups.
4: Yeah. And also, don't, don't you think that the, the the world is the world is just changing? I mean, it's 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 a it's a real. I mean, not not just in rugby. I mean, England's best football player has never played for an English club, has he? Or not in the Premier League?
2: Bellingham. Um, oh, you Bellingham. Yeah, he started Birmingham, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um. Um. You know,
4: the, the the cricket guys are are doing what <laughs> doing what they do now. Um. Japan's going to be an ever bigger pull because you you can you can almost smell the money piling into the the Japanese top league, and and it's you know that the the ship has the ship has sailed. I don't I don't think that you can can close your borders, so to speak, to use the phrase of the week. I think it's very very difficult um, now because players are, are going to pretty much look after themselves, and if the pay
0: differentials are big enough, then they're going to follow the money. Well, speaking of England football players, Harry Kane has said he'd love to play in the in the NFL. I don't know if anyone had heard that. Francesco could Cristiano Ronaldo make the switch? His body's young enough.
1: Oh God, no! Please, no! <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, uh, look, if if Harry Kane is so desperate to win a title, go play darts or something. But or oh, oh, <laughs> snooker, you, can, you might have a, a chance. Because look, I I, I write about f- football, and everyone is like laughing, but. Never see laughing with the possibility of Bayern Munich not winning the, the the Bundesliga this year, which will be horrible for Kane Um to go to a new club that supposedly wins every every year the league, and in his first year he doesn't yeah, win it.
0: The Kane curse.
1: It's well, you start you started with the Kane curse, so <laughs> but but Ronaldo going to the NFL, uh, please no, let he finish his his tenure in football. And that uh, that that's it. I
4: that think Ronaldo true. should go. I think Ronaldo should go to the NFL. He, he here's a man who needs to maximise his maximise his earnings while the going's good. Exactly, <laughs> he's completely you know, at the it's, it's a short it's a short career. You know, you have to earn your money somewhere.
0: <laughs> he's got a family look, to look after, to be <laughs> fair, and I'm not sure he's set to do that. Yeah, Chris. <laughs> you know, <it's> <laughs> No, just a, well, just a couple of uh, Nick, you mentioned a wide receiver that Reece Summit was faster than. So, that I think you're talking about Tyreek Hill, mm. who is one of the biggest um names in the NFL at the moment. I think he was recorded at 23.2 miles per hour, and Reece Summit's been re- that was um on the pitch, and Reece Summit has been recorded at 24.2, I think so.
3: What was it okay on,
0: on pitch stats are a decent ways higher, granted he's not wearing massive um American football padding. And I'm sure there's research about how that slows you down. But there's definitely potential there, and obviously, as you will at home, we'll be keeping a very, very close eye on it. Um yeah, so Francisco, sorry, we delayed the Portugal discussion a little bit because oh. of the bombshell, but let's get into it now. Um I suppose it's best to journey back because we haven't spoken about portugal too too much since um the rugby world cup let's journey back to that win against fiji and just talk about the impact it had back home for us obviously heroes welcome back to the country you had thomas appleton meeting ronaldo um yeah just just what did it do for you guys as a rugby nation
1: well first thing first things first uh it brought scrutiny so and this, I, th- I think, is important for anyone listening is the union can't do what it, it, it did after 2007, our first World Cup. So it was doing a lot of shenanigans at the back door. Now, now we did a lot of attention that the team caught after uh, with the World Cup. Uh, the general public uh, asked questions. For example, why don't we have a national coach? Why we don't know who's going to be on the team? Why is that? What's that? Etc. And that's important. That's how you build success. Without scrutiny and you being serious, what you're doing is in the part of the management. Um, No team like Emerging Nation can can grow. And I think Portugal now, after this successful World Cup, because we won a game for the first time ever and we were competitive from the first game to the last, um, there's more pressure on the union I think there's less pressure on the players because they have shown they can do it with the right conditions and structure. They just need (laughs) now that the the, the national coach and staff exists, so they can still push on and well, the next to to fight for the next battle, which is to reach Georgia's uh, level. And Georgia today, so today is Thursday, uh, have announced uh, Richard Cockrell. So it's going to be massive for Portugal looking at for the next four years.
4: What what was the story with uh, Ligisque? I mean, p- pardon me if I should know this, but I I mean, on the face of it, he did an extraordinary job uh, with, with, with Portugal. They performed, as you say, they were competitive right the way through that pool stage. Um, you know, they had a points difference at the end of it of 39. Uh, they were 39 points down on points difference, which is... A hell of a lot of a, a tighter margin than any of us would have expected. Um, you didn't go down by that much against Wales. You didn't go down by that much against the Wallabies. You drew against Georgia. You finished above them in the table, and then you and then there's no Legiske. What happened? Could have
3: beaten, could have beaten Wales. Yeah, for sure. You know, could have beaten Wales. So, so what happened? What 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 was the story behind
4: the Legiske departure? Was it his idea, your idea? Well, not you personally. But-
1: <laughs> Well, Chris, you want me to have pro- to, to face problems, so I'll, <laughs> but I'll tell the story. Uh, before the World Cup, it seemed like he was already going to leave the union because he wanted to retire and just help, like federal four or something like that, and small clubs and help new coaches and, and players coming through the gap uh, for, for the stages to get to pro stage. But after the World Cup and he started giving giving a lot of interviews, which was not normal for Lajewski in this last four years. So he he had a great respect for the union and for the players. So he kept his mouth uh, shut and he started saying he could have stayed if the union just did one thing, was uh, uh, fire or resign or just push aside someone who was in in the structure. And because they didn't do that, Lajsky didn't want to stay. Because he fought against that person for a lot for four years. He didn't want to have a, a a head a new headache for another four years. And I know Lajsky from interviewing for after post matches and talking to him pre matches. And I know he is a fire a fiery person. So he's not like. Only educated a gentleman, he uh, he has a lot of boom inside of him. He's a so, Basque. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah, exactly that. He's a Basque, and it, well, in some super cap, super cup games, and I work for UEFA Europe when the Portuguese, the Lusitans weren't doing well, and the match official uh, signed up a penalty against Lisztian, as you could see, like skill, like going bull, like a bull, and you look like okay, this man's going to eat everyone alive. So, best, best to next. He was a wing. He, uh. Oh yeah, but a, a feisty one, I can.
3: Uh,
1: <laughs> and after the, after the World Cup, he just didn't want to stay in a union, who he would have to battle against someone in the structure for four years. And I get that. And he was very clear in the interviews. It was because of one person, and if the Portuguese Union wanted to progress, it needed to redefine their way of thinking, the mindset, uh, the way they work with players. Because at the end of the day, that effort everyone did for the last three years, and especially for the last four months, so between July and October, um, to to replicate it, the unit should, uh, should change how they operate. And Lars Kier feared they would, wouldn't do that. So he so, tried so- to leave.
3: So, Francisco, you're, you, from what you're saying, your your feeling about them going forward must be a little bit pessimistic. You 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 know, you must be a little bit worried that they're not going to build on it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm always worried with that because I was in that generation of 2007. I saw the team going, and everyone was expecting like a new age for Portuguese rugby. And what we had in the end was we went down. Uh, in the rugby europe championship we went to the trophy division which was like i can say was one of the darkest days in portuguese rugby it's suddenly we lost the world series the sevens we were kicked out because we finished last and on the rugby europe championship we played last for like 16 years we were we got uh, into the relegation spot and it was not normal Uh, for just five years after world of six years after world cup um it was massive. And of course everyone is afraid of it. I think it won't happen at the same degree of damage because we have a lot of great players now. We don't just have four or five playing in the Pro de or in the Nacional. We have like almost 50 players playing between the top 14 and the Nacional One, uh, the, the... So it's... There's players. There's good stuff. The problem now is how serious once the Union wants to take this. And largest case interviews and being so vocal of what is wrong with the union, I think it's important because it took, the the union had to take that beating and start to change a bit. Even if it's just to fool some some people, they have to change because investors uh, and sponsors won't give only the money because the team went to the World Cup. They want to see a project, a plan. So what Portuguese rugby want to do. I know this because I talked with one of the a uh, uh, possible future top sponsors. They said, we want to know what they want to do for the next 15 years. So not only four years. We want to know what where they want to go, what they want to do, what they want to do with the men's and the women's uh, teams, etc. And so uh, right now, and you see the new staff, we don't have a national coach. Daniel Orcat came in as a consultant with uh, Steben Menezes, who, who coached Uruguay in the World Cup, and Rodolfo Bras, who coached Brazil. And that was due because World Rugby was seeing that the union had no idea what we were doing, and they almost forced them in to help the union until they picked someone from a list that World Rugby said, okay, here's the list. Now we're going to pick someone from that list and, and choose the next head, the next head coach because we can't lose Portugal the same way we did in two thousand and seven and I think it can be at sometimes uh, dreadful but I think with a bit more attention from everyone, especially from people from the tier one sides, um, Portugal is changing a bit. Uh, this this, was, this wouldn't be the
4: um, this wouldn't be the first instance, would it? Of um... Of a national union, not keeping pace with in in terms of its ideas and attitudes, not keeping pace with the top strata or with the professional strata or semi professional strata, the top strata of, of of players and coaches in the country. I mean, I, I think Nick, you probably agree that Argentina went through a big spell of this, didn't it?
3: Yeah, 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 they did. Um, but. I think that their, you know, their their situation wasn't helped because um uh, they co-opted Graham Henry at one stage and um he uh, he sort of took a different view to scrummaging to the traditional Argentine view. Yeah. And <laughs> their their great scrummaging tradition was um watered down until they're just also runs in that yeah. regard now. Um, but before, but before that, though, Nick,
4: I mean, I mean, when the Argentine Union was determined, basically, to remain amateur, to remain amateur, yeah. um, I mean, the the the, the conflict between be, between senior union figures and p Shot, whatever you think of Gus, but yeah. you know, that generation of Pumas, yeah, that that was a, that was a, that
3: was a war, you know. Yeah, but you know, it is still. I mean, I think that it would be fair to say that it is still, you know, largely. Uh, almost in an amateur sport in uh, in Argentina, you know, and so that that those attitudes still prevail. And if you look at it, most of Argentina's players are being funded by you know by the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Francisco, as we've got you here, um, a couple of questions from me. Firstly, how confident are Portugal of fielding a representative side against England A in that match? given that it's the week before what could be a very important Rugby Europe semi-final for you. And also, the Pro D2 teams don't always release Portugal players for non-REC weekends. Uh, And secondly, have you got any updates on uh, some of the guys we thought had retired? Like Mike Tadja did say he'd retired, but he's playing again for Massey. Would he be available? Um, Is Samuel Marquez still going to make himself available? There's, There's the Carrot... Of the South Africa match this summer. So, what's the, the latest gossip on player availability for the England A match and and going forward?
1: So, uh, starting with the England A match, it's going to be also a Portugal A, a team. So, I don't know <laughs> who's going to make it on the team. I know it. Most of the players that are part of the national, um, or even Tomas Appleton, for example. But I, Thomas, I don't know because he, I want to. I know he he wants to play, but their focus is to play against Romania in the weekend before, which in Bucharest, which is going to be uh, uh, a decisive match, because whoever loses that, that game, and if they win the, the previous two, hmm. will get to play against Georgia in Tbilisi, who no one wants to play against Georgia in Tbilisi uh, with a full, full-on full Georgia. But I guess England I I don't know who's going to be on the team. I know might be a combination of some of the players that were in the World Cup, but with a lot of newcomers, guys that want to get a place in the, four, in the next three year, if, uh, World Cup cycle and so on. And that's the big question. We don't know who's going to be the staff for that game because they're going to be in Bucharest. So they're going to fly immediately after to uh, to England. We don't know. It's As you see, it's a big question. About the the players being released by the Predator size in top fourteen and so on, uh, that's a very good question because I know that most of the th- of the clubs are forced to do it, and I think they willingly will do it. But for example, Juan Normandy, which has one of the props that Portugal needs, which is Cody Thomas, uh, might not come because Juan eh, Normandy isn't on blast on Predator and they want to try to avoid relegation at all costs. Yeah. So he might not get the chance to come. Uh, But the other players, they want to come. They just want, and from what I know, so I'm not going to put anyone on the stand here. They only want to come if there's a project and a real uh, idea for the next four years, because coming just to save Portugal, they want to do it, but it will give a bad example. And uh, every time the the union calls for come save us, they have to come. So we'll see what happens. With them, I know Mike Tadger might come. He he couldn't ha- handle the retirement for two months straight. It was too, <laughs> much, for him. It's too much. Why am I not surprised at that? Uh, <laughs> uh, it was too much for him. I had a laugh with him because when I saw a photo of him. Uh, with a, a massy old shirt, I said, oh, You're going back to your your origin, aren't you? you? And he was, and he just sent an emoji laughing. And I said, Okay, he's going to go back to, to playing for at least one season. But Samuel Marca, I don't believe he's coming back. Samuel had yeah. once to two years for Bezier, and we'll see after it. But Samuel did his time with Portugal, helped Portugal to go to the World Cup, helped Portugal winning uh, against Fiji. And now I think the, ma- the major goal for him is to uh, not only help Pézier to try to go to the top fourteen, but also to become one of the top ten uh, 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 top ten players who have scored more than one thousand uh, points in the in the uh, the uh which would be massive. He will be one of the only twelve guys that done it, and he's very close to the top ten. Mm-hmm. Can you
3: just talk me through the? Um... The fixtures that you say that there's this key fixture against Romania, um, is a week before or or just a few days before the England A game? Is it?
1: Oh, the problem is even if it was two weeks before, and I'll give you the, the schedule. Is Portugal is only allowed five interna- five uh, weekends of international calls for the pro top fourteen or for the professional sides? Right. That game against England A is. Sits completely outside of those five games. It can happen if Portugal decides, for example, against Belgium or Poland, not to put the best players. But so, that's a risk.
3: So can I just ask you that that game is outside the uh, the World Rugby uh, international release period? Is it?
1: It is, it, and it isn't. If Portugal wants to to, to trade with the prodeos sides that weekend for like a game with Poland, they could uh, they could do, do it. But imagine if Port Portugal with Poland, something major happens and Portugal lose points over against Belgium in the first game of the Arabia Europe Championship, and they don't. Well, for me, the, the and for much I like England and the, the tier one sides. Our main focus must be the, championship. the yeah, of Championship. Yeah, of course. So
3: when is the game, game if they if they beat Romania? When is the game against Georgia?
1: The the game against Georgia. If Portugal loses to Romania, they get to play Georgia because I don't think Georgia this season is going I to see. lose against Spain or Netherlands. Okay. In the future, let's see what happens. But it, it's, it's only in March. But the game against Romania, Portugal is on the seventeenth of. Or February. So,
3: you know, it, it's really quite interesting in some ways because we, we talk about the importance of teams like Portugal getting enough international exposure. And yet, on the same, at the same time, we've got this issue where obviously the Portuguese players are earning their living playing for, you know, either top 14 or Pro D2 um, clubs. And it is a conflict of interest of significant proportion. For Portugal, after this World Cup, to beat—I mean, the highest-profile uh, game that they'll they'll have, perhaps outside uh, um, if they if they do play Georgia, would definitely be England A. If they were to beat England A with a strong side, it would it would rattle cages. It would make it would send a real message that Portugal are picking up and going to go on. So, you know, there are. You know there are definitely issues around this, aren't there?
1: There are there are issues. Look, if our only big fixture this year would be England A, I'll be full on board with you in that. But we have the Springboks in the summer. Also, uh, then I think to- uh, maybe Italy and Tonga, and it's going to be the, the top. And uh, later on, so the problem is for now Portugal. There's a lot of fixtures. We don't yeah. know who's. A, we don't have like. Uh, assigned stuff—it's just borrowed from world rugby, and we don't know who's the team, who's who who, who retired, who is still in the yeah. project. Nothing. And for a nation like Portugal, it's complicated. Look, look to Georgia. Karkul took almost two months to be announced by the union, but I get why they do that because they were deciding with the, the, the next ten years. Even if Richard on only stays only four years, they want to know what is the next stages for them. So. They did try to accelerate things. They don't try to speed up the process. They wanted to know what who's going to be the players from the U20s who are going to go to the seniors. Who's playing the top 14, then, the Premiership, whatever they are, etc. So that's a way to do it. Romania is trying to get their their bearings again with David Jar and the great staff that they have also. And for Portugal, it's completely the opposite. We have the players, so the manpower. But the rest is failing at the moment. So mm-hmm. we can have games against England, Ireland, South Africa, New Zealand, etc. If we don't have what is like a main platform, like steady platform for the players to hold on, it doesn't matter how many fixtures you have. And course, that can...
3: platform and that platform just isn't there at the moment, by the sound uh, of them.
1: For me... It is. I know we have now Orkaz helping out outside of it because because how they way the way they everyone announced it and I announced him as the caretaker coach because it for me is what it seems. But it's not the guy who's going to hold the team for for four years, just for a couple of months. That doesn't work for for a professional player and for the Pro two sides uh, that work like the Premiership teams. When you go to them and ask, okay, the player has to be released for this game against England A. And they say, okay, um, for what reason? Who's the head coach? And you don't have a head coach like Lajsky because Lajsky talked a lot with the, the clubs in France. Yeah, yeah. that was so, his great
2: attitude.
1: No, yeah, yeah, and I know he's seated with the clubs, explained we need this guy for this weekend. Next weekend, we don't need him so he can get back to the team after the game so he can play for your club and etc. At the moment, we don't have that. That okay. French connection is important. crucial. It's yeah. crucial at the moment. It's crucial, yeah. and for now, at the moment, imagine if we win, win against England A, but we lose against Romania, Spain, uh, South Africa by 100 points, Tonga by 40 points, and against Italy 50 points. Yeah. What have we won from that? No,
3: sure. No, I mean when I when I said that England A game, just in terms of publicity, <laughs> and obviously going forward those other games are all extremely important. Italy and South Africa, huge games for Portugal, you know. Mm. Um, But, uh, yeah, it doesn't sound, it sounds as if uh, you probably need a very well-connected new French coach.
4: (laughs) 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 Bernard Laporte, your man. (laughs) He's got got connections all over the place.
1: No, no, merci. Merci beaucoup, mais non, mais non. (laughs) For much respect, I have for Bernard Laporte. Uh, Bernard Laporte. The, the man I wanted then was Patrice Lachey. And after it, the guy they picked was Sébastien Bertrand that everyone didn't know who was but who, who was a man. But he was very well connected in France with a lot of clubs, with a lot of people. He, already had, uh, he had already a list of 25 Espoir players that were coming to the top 14 sides that could play for Portugal. And he was fired two weeks after it because, well, I'm not going to announce it, but it wasn't for the reasons that the union says. And and he chose to be the, the, a, a gentleman and said, okay, let the union say their story. I will help, hold until the end of my life with, with mine. But I And that's a problem. For Portugal, after the World Cup, we had the world, everyone, everyone watching us, and after one month, we fired the new coach. Plajski starting to give interviews with all the stories of the last four years. Um, and you can see that players were worried. The Lusitanos franchise didn't do well this season. And I, ha- I had a lot of calls and messages asking, why isn't Duarte Nij, David Costa, and other players that were in the World Cup playing for the team? And I couldn't answer it. I know they, they didn't play because they were tired and they, they want a project from the union and the, the union didn't present to them. So, at the moment now, it's they ha- must have to to show a project to the players, so they can give their bodies to to the national team because playing commit. against playing against Belgium and Poland to the nowadays is uh, even if Portugal wins by eighty points, it it hurts. Belgium and Poland hurt playing like in the scrum, and tackling against Romania. The new Romania is going to be very complicated. Spain is all, uh, already growing back. Georgia is what is every time. And even Netherlands are showing signs that it can go big in the next 10 years. So Portugal can just sit on this, the merits of having 40 players playing abroad because it at the end of the day, it won't save them in a, at, a, at the long term. And I'll give you an example. Thomas Appleton, which is for me one of the best players in the team. After the World Cup, he should have rested, but he continued to play. It was his decision, but you could see he was not the same player. And I've told him this Uh, i think they should have rest because there are no not pro players in portugal i see me pro at best but like guys from appleton the rest of the play the most majority of players in portugal are amateur and no resting and now with the europe europe championship and a, a travel to africa which is never simple it's going to be hectic everyone wants to talk to them to see them they have to do Trainings, they have to do sessions and so on, and get, play against Springboks, which are, which is gonna not going to be fun, uh, because the Springboks don't know how to have fun; they just, just know how, how to win and big. I don't know. It's up to them, because I, I look win. at you. Jo- I, I have been writing about George and Romania for the past two weeks, and I can see they are trying to think professionally. At least the, the staff tries to think professionally. We have to do this, 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 this. Uh, year zero, year one, year two, year three, four. Lajski f- fought like this. It was his mindset. And now there's no Lajski. Francisco, it,
2: it all sounds a bit fraught at the moment. And I'm also thinking, I mean, it's only 15 months ago that you were having a huge effort for the qualifying tournament in Dubai, uh, which was kind of out, out of the um, international window. Big, big dedication from the players. Then you had the incredible effort to get fit to improve the fitness in the fitness camps, which seem to go on all summer. Then you had the World Cup itself. Then the guys are straight back playing in Produ de six days later, five days later. A lot of these guys could could be running on empty a bit. And and then suddenly you've got all these playing challenges. So it's it's quite a fraught time, it feels like to me.
1: It is, but it, it's the same thing for the Fijians or Georgians or Romanians. I've talked with some guys from Georgia, and after it was like Samuel Marx. Two days after the World Cup, they were already on practice, getting ready for a game for the top 14 of the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. And it, I asked them, were you, they said to me, "We weren't forced; it was our option. But but because the club have a help have which which stood with us for the last four months, we were away." We have to say, this is our way to say thank you. We have to be professional at this point. Yeah, of yeah. course, when the Rugby Europe Championship starts, I don't know how they're going to handle it because they have to come back and forth, back and forth, and that takes a beating out of their bodies. And their first time they were trying to rest, which is this one, there's a rest, you're going to to, to Africa or Georgia is going to play against uh, Uruguay and other teams. So, it's difficult, and at some point you could see you could see that some players don't come for some games. Like for example, Vasil Lobushanitsa, it's not going to play for Georgia in the in the pool stage this year. He's going to play for Toulon. He's going to focus only his team because he wants to win a contract. And but everyone was honest about it. I want to stay in Toulon for the for the, until March. After March, I can help Georgia in the semifinals and the finals if you want me. But I've known the history in Portugal and every time a player does this, some people spin it, uh, the story and say, this player is not ungrateful for his country. He doesn't want to play for us. He must be scrapped. And I've seen this happen in the, in the past. And it, it happened with players like Mike Tadger and Samuel Marcos. And that tells the reason why for a long time they didn't play for, for Portugal. Because the way they were treated. And that's a problem with Portuguese, Reby, or some of the unions, is the way they treat players. Because they don't think them as... As uh, their money-making thing, they only look to them as like expendable. So uh, after after it, we can sh- change another player, and uh, he he'll do the same. It's 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 never the same. Uh,
4: how, how did you guys react to? Um, I think I might know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. How how did you guys react to the sort of reshaping of the international calendar and the? Um, <laughs> what what we what we used to call in um what we used to call in trade union circles in this country the closed shop which is pretty closed anyway and now it's really really closed and slammed and locked tight i mean there's no access for any non tier one nation into any tier one tournaments for for forever as far as i can see
1: well until it, it stops making money after it stops making money we must create another Bonkers idea about it. Um, you want to start fires? Let's start for fires. I think most of the players didn't understand what was going to happen when the decision was made. After two months, they start to understand that after 2026, the the chance to play against England, the Wales, or South Africa is going to narrow to zero one percent, and they that, that got the, the players worried because. Uh, if we don't play major games, or we only play the rec, and then play teams like uh, like like us. After some years, nobody is going to watch us or follow us, and, and etc. And that tells the story of Rami for me because people should watch these teams, even if it is a Portugal Uruguay, Portugal Fiji, Fiji Romania, Fiji, whatever. But the, the sport has a, has a problem in its in its core, and I think the only way to change that problem was to play. England once, once a year, even if Portugal took a beating of 60 points one year, and next year we lose by just 40, whatever. It happens. It's part of sport to, to lose, to learn, and, and, to, and, to do, and to do better next time. And I think people like me who understood the proposition took it badly. Players only, after some time, Understood it like guys like Storti or Madeira or Nicolas Martí because the youngest, so they're gonna they're gonna have to endure a long time without playing against a top side. Guys like Mike Dajnig and Samuel Marx, their time is almost over for the national team. So,
4: yeah. But I the think, but the people who make this decision, Francisco, are the very people who expect you to rock up at the next World Cup and play the house down again.
1: Chris, look. I, after when I, the the voting come, came out and we saw that George voted in favor of the World League, everyone I knew it before it and everyone was shocked. How could George do this? And like one month after it, the CEO one of the CEOs explained that, well, because uh, we can't change the how the world works. So they talked with us, they're going to give some games for our U18 and U20 team and maybe our French, our union franchise might play in a, comp- in a higher competition, etc. I think the unions, the, the T2 unions are not a group and that's a no. problem. They're sparse, you know, because one year they're very good friends, the year after, if they can trade blows in the back to get uh, an advantage, they will do it. You could see. I give you a, a small example. Um, Spain have been talking about doing a World Cup for like the last five years, quietly. But you could see in the, in the news. In the news, there's some. Everyone. There was always a journalist. I do. You want to host a World Cup? And someone from the union said, "Oh, maybe one, one year because we have the infrastructure. We are close to France, so we can." Borrow some of, of one or two teams in the Basque country. Maybe do it with Italy. Last year, one of the vice presidents of the was of the Spanish Union gave an interview. They said it's on our plans to do a, a Rugby World Cup in the future. We don't know when, but we want to do it. And the Portuguese president of the Union, who if he hears this podcast, going to try to send me a message. I, I like mad with it. But he he said in public interview. The idea to do a World Cup in Portugal, Spain was from Portugal and mine. The, the Spanish never thought of it. It's my idea. We have to do it in Portugal. And Spain has to come along if they want to. Of course, the Spanish weren't happy. Would you be happy? You had the idea. You were already projecting the stadiums, the venues, the cities, and then came another union who was like boosted by a World Cup saying it was our, the idea is ours. If Spain wants to come along, they should come along. It doesn't this is the problem with the T2 sides, I think. They don't work as one. They work separately, and with that type of, of thinking when you go against the home nations, it's impossible. You're going to crack. At, at some point it was happening with Georgia. They cracked. and well
4: yeah well, that, that, that's politics, Francisco. I mean I mean I mean the, 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 the powerful the powerful nations will always throw enough people, enough bones to get stuff through. They would always, They would, I mean, that's just, that happens in every walk of life, I guess. It's just depressing when, to, to see it in a, in, a, in a game you love and you sort of think, well, hey, where are these guys going to go? They've been fantastic at this World Cup. They've played miles above expectations. They've, you know, they've achieved this, that and something else.
3: And, they've um, captured imaginations, what? you know, they've captured, you know, spirit, oh. ambition, everything. You know.
4: oh, I mean it's it's a it's a stunning. I mean let's let's be fair. The Portuguese performance at the World Cup was stunning.
1: Mm.
4: It, really, it I mean it, I mean to to come out of a, a group of Wales, Australia, Fiji, and and Georgia, with a with a points difference of minus thirty nine, a draw and a win and not finish bottom of that pool was a staggering effort
2: and to play some of the most attractive oh. easy on the eye of rugby of the entire tournament. Oh, yeah. I mean, some well, of the they, best they had, tries of the entire
4: tournament. They had a number 10 for a start. Well, see where, where is it where's he going to be playing in the, in the, in the near future? I mean,
1: he wants to stay in Portugal. He wants to stay in Portugal. This one the you have some players that have I had opportunity to go to England and to France, I can say to this, uh, you I can tell you this and they refuse. They want to stay in Portugal because they have a, a good job uh they're married already Jeronimo is very young but already married and with the kids so very old-fashioned guy and he doesn't want to leave portugal and i know that a, a team from top 14 asked him Hey, you want to come in and to do some tests because i think you're going to do well here and he he said okay no no thank you i don't want to
2: and how you. about our favorite little fullback uh guedes susa guedes he, is he still injured
1: saying, no, he's he, he's he's playing already. He played for the yeah. Lusitanos uh, starting November, um, and he's back for, for the Rugby Europe Championship. But Nunes Odegad doesn't want to leave. Also, it's how it
3: too nice a country to live in, I suppose. Yeah, which which begs the question: the Lusitanos, what what are their um, how how many of the uh, of the national side actually play for them at at the moment and what are their prospects i mean if 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 portugal are going to be blocked one way or the other along with other tier 2 nations in terms of aspiration and ambition for the moment there may be another route which is obviously through european um uh cup competitions and so on and so forth where 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 does where where do they sit at the moment
1: well that's one of the things that I applaud from the current administration in Portuguese Rugby. Is the I know they want to try to reshape Lusitans to be a full-on franchise that can not only promote players to play at a better level but to give them a career. For that, we need a competition. We have the Super the Rabies Europe Super Cup, but the unions didn't well treat it very well, so we don't know what it's what its its future. Of course, the dream is to play in a league like the United Rugby Championship. I know the black line. What it did with the scarlets and against Castro, they lost by uh, twenty twenty two points. But it showed promise. So everyone now is thinking, okay, maybe these fra- national franchise from these t two, two uh, T2 countries might deserve a shot because they ha- they might have what it's needed. Of course, they need investment to have. A so company. you have your
3: local, you have your local league playing into the franchise,
1: effectively. Yeah it it was a problem for this was a discussion for like two long decades because the clubs were fearful of having a union franchise to play some some, some fixers during the year that was not portugal mm-hmm. because they thought okay this could steal our our players the players could change teams to another team and then mm-hmm. we will we suffer the consequences but the Lusitanos did well in the first two seasons the this one, after the World Cup, was uh, a bad one. They finished in fifth. But, for for example, in the World Cup, we had like 15, 16 players came from the Lusitana. Yes. and the And the other 17 were playing in France. It worked because of how Patrice Lachewski, Luis Pizarra, and João Mira, with Olivier Rieck, worked as a staff for the team. So, I know they, they practiced very early in the morning. They went to do their jobs came back at lunchtime for for gym and in an afternoon a new session mm-hmm. and they worked and it worked fine because they had a goal to go to the next world cup and they and they did with that luck that spain uh placed in an, an player in two games against netherlands and they had that tiny uh, bit of luck to then go to the world cup and now it's It's a matter to know if the Super Cup continues because if it doesn't, what do you do with the Lusitanos? You don't have a league to play in, and if if we want to play in a league like URC, we need at least three million, four million to support traveling expenses, lodging, foods, and of course payment for the players and for Mm. the staff. So that's the. But if they play in a league like in URC, I think they're going to get investment because it's a T1 competition it's not at only a t2 uh tournament but that's that's a major question for now it's the future it's the main problem with the t2 side that you don't know the, the, the future future yeah I, the, I mean the, the, the
3: black the black
4: lion side you're quite right I mean they they've done very well in the challenge cup but they almost beat Gloucester in the first round mm-hmm. I think they lost by a point then they gave scarlets a bit of a toweling um they went to Castro and Lost. Well that's that's easy that's easily done. Um in, in, in any kind of competitive tournament. But they're only in the tournament because three English clubs went pop. I mean yeah. they're, 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 they were invited
3: in to yeah, make up the numbers. It's I not mean, part either. of a grand plan. No, it's, it's not it's,
4: it's not part of it's not part of a plan grand or otherwise. No.
1: But it worked and uh, when yeah. they and look. I've seen. The, I've said this a lot. As if I have been a, a rugby fan as long as I've been in a football. One and football has something that rugby doesn't. Football looks to every uh, continent and every nation as a new market to explore. Yeah. So I did. I'm not. There's no no fear, and I've uh, I, I've written a tweet about how many games Christian Ronaldo played against, let's say smaller uh, <laughs> nations football wise. And he played against Finland, Albania, Armenia, uh, Zambia, Angola, etc. So, and how many times did John Johnny Saxon play against Portugal in his career? Zero. Hmm. And if you the teams come to Portugal, to Spain, to Georgia, the market is going to over, overflow. Every time you go to Bucharest to play against uh, Romania, this, the Stadium Arquip de Triouf completely... Gets bunkers. It's like goes, goes bunkers with it, and it's a rugby city, but it's overshadowed and and forgotten by by everyone because the T1 nations don't want to let go their power. And well, a game in Portugal and Spain, what would be the problem?
4: I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, if 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 you went to any of the RFU top brass at Twickenham now and said. Portugal were pretty damn good at the World Cup. They played some really attractive rugby. They call a lot of the rugby imagination. Why aren't we playing them? Well, they wouldn't sell out Twickenham. Okay, well will play it somewhere else then. Play it at Ashton Gate. I mean, I know, I know there are there are player release difficulties. I mean, these. I mean, look, if it was simple, it would be being done probably, or or it'd be a lot closer to be being done. Um, but I just, I simply don't think in the Tier One nations uh, the protectionism is
1: extraordinary.
4: The level of protectionism is absolutely off the scale.
1: I, I give you an example: the Portuguese handball team, for between the, two, the early 2000s and 2015, was 2014 uh, was poor, very poor. We were playing badly. The national team didn't didn't go to World Cups or, or European competitions. And after some time, um, they start, the union started to plan to okay, let's let's go restart. The project, everything from zero, and they did. The team started. I remember going to see the games in Portugal, for, Portugal versus Greece. No one was on the stand yet, stadium. No one, like ten people, twenty. After two years, two hundred. After more two years, five thousand. And after two years, it, I couldn't get tickets because it was completely uh, overbooked, and and everybody had already booked place. And now Portugal is doing well in World Cups and European competitions. My father, who never played handball in his life and only played rugby and a bit of uh, uh, field hockey, uh, called me. You see, Portugal beat Norway yesterday. What a game it was. My, pa- my father never played handball, never saw handball in his life. But because Portugal is doing well, it's always mm-hmm. on the news, the handball team, it changed. And the the problem with the, the Portuguese rugby is between September and December, there was a lot of rugby on the TVs. A lot I can say to you, not only Portugal, England, Wales, which is not normal for Portuguese uh, uh, sports culture. Norm- normally we are football, football, and football. That's sure. up to it. But you had on uh, the second ch- channel some games, all games between Wales and England from the Five Nations. Uh, really? Re- really? Yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah, because they were remembering because. It was a time that public television uh, broadcasted the Five Nation Games, and we had a a Portuguese commentator that loved it and did awesome commentary to it. And they were showing also clips from the Lobos and clips from uh, from Fiji and other teams, and etc. And now, if Portugal doesn't do well for the next two years, the the attention we're going to drop, and you, you, you. and that's the main problem with Portugal. Georgia does, doesn't have that problem because rugby is a national sport. Every uh, I've talked with Becca Gorgadze and Lasha Jayani, and they've told me since kids, since we are kids, or oh, it's basketball or rugby. <laughs> and some kids are like this, waiting for a coach to a coach to come to them. You want to play rugby? Come to my team, and he bring and the difference is in Portugal that doesn't happen because we are a football nation and after football there's handball basketball you now have a, Port- a portuguese player playing in the play nba so it makes massive difference because every little kid wants to go to the nba now but of course of the world cup i know a lot of like uh, uh sons of, of friends of mine want to play rugby because they saw the portuguese team winning and and uh, and playing it was amazing, etc. But if Portugal doesn't play high, high noticed games or don't, doesn't do well, of course no one was going to play a sport that doesn't do well.
3: So will the game against um, will the, will the game against Romania, for example, will that be televised live?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah the, the rugby championship is that the rights are uh bought and broadcasted by sport tv which is a closed channel a sports channel in portugal but the public television also broadcasts it the portuguese games so it's good and people go to the stadium and watch it it's quite good
0: hmm. you obviously hmm. write about football as much as you write about rugby you mentioned that spain and portugal their rugby federations don't exactly collaborate and they're not particularly on the same page what differences do you notice between the portugal and spain equivalents for football obviously the difference is, is portugal and spain are very much tier one nations for football and they're absolute powerhouses in the european and global game where in rugby that's not the case
1: there was a time that we hated uh, much more than we hate now because as ronaldo is not playing anymore in spain and there's no that. War between Barcelona and Ronaldo because Messi, Argentinian, but the Spanish adopted him as his son. So it's yeah. like it was always like Portugal against Spain every time Ronaldo faced Messi or Ronaldo's thirty-three goals. Oh, Messi scored now with thirty-four. Uh, he's always winning. It's, it's something like that. <laughs> but there, there, there's a rivalry, but it's not that much nowadays because as football is so big. Not I'm not saying it's as the league is as big as the Spanish one, but because. The teams did well in your beaten competitions. We have been in the World Cups, etc. There's not that much of a rivalry. It is a rivalry, but it's not like die-hard rivalry to a point that we don't talk.
4: It it's just struck me, Francisco. Is it? I've, I've I've had a blinding flash of inspiration. You guys are looking at a co- uh, looking for a coach, in rugby,
1: and Jose Mourinho
4: is looking for a job.
1: No, <laughs> I want Jose Mourinho to go to the Portuguese uh, national job, a uh, football, not rugby. Well, because I love Jose Mourinho, I'm very, I'm very big fan. I, I went to a Roma game to watch the, the team play, and but for Raby, no, no, no. After after one month, I think the players will try to kill him, and with the tackle, they might do it.
4: So. Yeah, well, I, would, <laughs> I I I would pay a month's wages to see Jose Mourinho in a scrum.
1: <laughs> in the scrum, in the scrum, I don't know, but at the back of a scrum as a scrum half, I would. Sh- pay good money to see the marine as a scrum half mm-hmm. <laughs> because with his shouting and so on it will be very incredible but look a, a good example and a contrast is Portugal and Spain are trying to do a world cup in football which they're going to do they just don't know if it's going to do with Morocco or U- Ukraine uh, well we are going to do it but the three first games are going to be hosted in South America it, it's a it's completely uh, crazy idea but okay but Portugal and Spain are doing a world cup we have the venues, everything sorted. Rugby, we can't even do a project together. Maybe they are doing in the backdrop. I I hope they're doing it, but I know that speaking with Spanish fans and people who work in clubs, they were pissed when the Portuguese uh, president said my the idea was mine. Because it, it, let's be honest, it, it's we don't like it when someone takes credit for a, a job we are doing and. In rugby, it seems in rugby, every time, and this happens not only in Portugal but every every nation, every time there's someone doing something special, someone comes and says, the idea was mine. It's just like we are always trying to kill each other for a bit of, of attention. And we, we shouldn't because there's there's a lot of uh, platform for everyone.
0: Very, very interesting. Um, just one final question on... Portugal, and I'm just gonna ask you to put your uh take out your crystal ball. Obviously, no head coach going into REC Georgia. Correct me if I'm wrong, they haven't officially announced Richard Cockrell today.
1: Cockrell's being announced today, so we're uh recording this on a Thursday, 18th of January. It's today, is being I think it's now at really? uh, right 5 now. P.m. Oh, Breaking news. Yeah, Okay, yeah, he, he's uh,
4: just spent a week. He's just spent a week learning how to say hello in Georgian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, too I, nice I mean it, it, it took him forty-five years to learn how to say it in English.
1: Uh, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's going to be very interesting to see Cockrell with the Georgian side because everyone says that he is a bit of a bully, etc. And
0: uh, yeah,
1: Cockrell and the Georgians are, are not don't like to be bullied, but they like someone who tells them exactly what to do. Milton Haig did beautifully that. Levin Masashvili did also great in it. The World Cup didn't end the way he wanted. And I think Cockrell has all the tools and the players to do an excellent job with them.
4: I think I think the Georgians and Richard Cockrell will speak the same body language. I think it's a
1: great I combo, so. those two. I think so. Uh, uh, my only problem, and I've talked this and I'm writing something about it, is What's left for Georgia after beating Wales in Italy and going to World Cups and I know their great objective is to qualify for quarterfinal in the World Cup, but between that now and the World Cup, there's nothing to achieve because they have done everything. So that's a problem. They won all the racks. They won against T1 sides. They've done well. They have players playing in the Premiership in top 14. So what's left? And the problem is is it that after 2026 they are barred from playing against T2 T one sides?
4: Yeah. 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 It's a brick wall.
1: So I I want to understand what Richard Cockrell sees in the Georgian Union. If it's a platform for him to go back to a premiership or to the English camp, or if he wants to change things in Georgia and try to show the world that Georgia should be on the main stage.
0: But you've got obviously Georgia have more stability in that they've got a head coach who by well blueprint accounts would be a very good match with them very different to um the portuguese situation who do you think is going to win the rec
1: oh that's that's easy uh george is going to win it
0: okay all right so you're sticking sticking with georgia, Port, yeah, georgia portugal final though
1: uh sorry
0: do you think it will be a georgia portugal final
1: I, I look for me, it would be the perfect team because it's in Paris, and the Portuguese community would lose their heads if it's a final between Portugal and, and Georgia. Um, I don't know. I think I'm going to bet on Por- and Romania versus Georgia this season.
0: Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's very, very interesting. Just because, yeah. So, not necessarily feeling too, too optimistic at the moment about the state of flux in Portuguese rugby.
1: No, in, if if the team if the old team comes and Steven Menezes and Rudolf Ambrosio with the help of orcat can well figure a plan and have Storty, Marta, Appleton, Martins, Tajer and everyone playing at the top level, I think Portugal can go to the final. Yeah that's, that's a, now if Portugal doesn't have all the team, the staff doesn't do does can't create a good conditions for for the players and so on. It's difficult. You no, know, I've played for 15 years, Rami, and every time we had a caretaker coach, I remember that we didn't play as a team, we played individuality because we wanted to show that to the next coach, or to the present, mm. see, we are one of the top, I am a top player, and without me, the team doesn't well. So when a new coach comes, tell him that I'm a good player. And that's a problem with the Portuguese side. I think the players need stability to shine and scale delivered that. So I think that's a blueprint for the future for any key to, to, to side. Look, Andy Robson was doing a good job with Romania. He, well, his story, we, we'll never know until the day that Andy Robson shares what happened. But after he left, you could see that the Romanian team did this, cracked open. Open. Andy Robson was essential for their work and how they they played and so on. So without Lajský, my fear is that Portugal cracks down until a new head coach comes in and says, okay, let's rebuild on what Lajský and the staff did between the, in those four years and after it, we'll see what happens. But at the moment, it's always... Uh, Orcad is the new head coach? Oh no, he isn't. He's just a consultant, but he was already a consultant for Portugal and Spain. How can he be a two-time consultant? doing two, two, two type of jobs. And Steven Mines and the brother are here, but are here to stay or here just to be, oh, just for three months, okay. And if you ask any professional player if they think this is serious, ask them, <laughs> ask, ask a player like uh, Joe Marler or Mari Toji if they think this is serious.
3: Who who, uh, who made the decision about uh, Lagisque's appointment? Was it World Rugby or was it the Portuguese Union?
1: So you you want to hear a a story? I can tell you. you, I can tell you the story now because Livescim made it public. So I, I it's careless. You
3: can do so. Okay.
1: So four years ago, our president Carlos Almeida Silva was looking for a coach, and he didn't have. He had some options, but he wanted a French coach because he knew that the the perfect guy would be someone from France that knew the players that could bring them in, show confidence, talk to them because. Talking in English is it's it's cool, but you lose something in translation. And with the French guys, and I know some Walmart and Mike Tajik can speak Portuguese, and they and they do, but when you speak French quickly with them, it's better. Especially when you're trying to bash them and saying, "Stop with this, the shenanigans, please." And I knew that he was looking for it. And at the same time, Laisque, uh Duqueiro, who was one of Lajskier' right men in Portugal, was having a dinner with a former uh, Spanish uh, uh, Union president. And they were talking and he said, um, ah, uh, uh, Portugal is looking for a head coach. And the, Dukerti said, okay, uh, Lajski might want to come back to the big leagues because he's uh, done play, uh, being in the Federal Six. Maybe he, he might want to get a go on it. And he said, "Okay, here's the number. Give to Lasky, and he and he can call the, the Portuguese president." Okay, okay. gave to Lasky. Lasky picked up the phone with no problem whatsoever, and called Carlos Madalena Silva and said, "Okay, my name is Patrice Lasky. Uh, I know Portugal is, is looking for a head coach. I'm very keen on working with you. If you want, I we can uh, do a meeting to set up things." And if if you if you want me to come in and Karzamada Silva, my, he was in the middle of a lot of things because the union was re, in the mil, in the middle of a restructure moment. Said okay, uh, but send your CV please, so we know, so we can know who you are and so on. And Laske, <laughs> was, was like, um, okay, I'll send you my CV, but uh, I'm Patrice Laske, you know me yeah. from, uh, from Biarritz. I know, no, yes, yes, yes. Uh I send it and Carlos Silvan went uh the light came to his head and said, Okay, I know who is Patrice Lasque. we're gonna send him on the moment. And they signed him. I can see Patrice Lasque was winning a low wage because he want he just wanted to work with Portugal. He didn't want he was not looking for money or exposure. He just wanted a last job that he could say he was happy with rugby because the last one he had was with France in the 2015 World Cup, yeah, yeah. and and it's in the worst possible manner, and he was a bit distraught, and it took almost four years to him to he say again, okay, okay, let's go back to to the game, and Portugal opened the door. Larski, well, Lasky came through the door without asking nothing to anybody, and that's the story about it. And I can tell you okay. something. The first. So he- it, it, it was
3: nothing to do with world rugby. It was to no, do no, 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 no. Okay.
1: Now, now I know it's to do world rugby is now on the job to hire to get the Portuguese coach, the one that Portugal wants, and so on. But at the time, it was nothing to do with world world rugby because Lajsky was not didn't ask for that much money, and the union could pay that the amount he asked for. Okay. Uh, and expenses and I know that the first training he had with the players and he had like with 40 players that were only playing in Portugal and he said uh, look, with me is going to be serious from the start, I'm going to give you the conditions to do well, so you're going to practice early but we're trying to find the money to pay you etc, but you're going to be serious, if you don't want to be play like a pro with me and to hear me out and to be focused on this, you can leave there's no problem, but with me gonna be a hundred percent until the last moment and we go and we're going to do well. Of course they failed to qualify for the World Cup at the first moment, but then there was a miracle. Well I call it a miracle the Spanish call it the worst the second day worst day ever. But it happened and well the story of the World Cup was written. And yeah. I think well Ralaski I think the game against Springboss would be would have been perfect for him. But it's what it is and i think he left in the best possible manner for me okay
0: well look i think i speak on behalf of not just um all of us on the podcast but everyone in european rugby because portugal kind of became everyone's second teams barring maybe fiji but in the european landscape we all want to see your brand of rugby um very much in in the thick of it we're really looking forward to the england day game um so yeah hopefully they put up put put on a good show in the rec and that continues um you know the the old cliche of continuing momentum into the summer hopefully that very much keeps going um francisco we're gonna talk about the england squad for 20 minutes or so i'm not gonna condemn you to being bored by our discussions there um but thank you so so much for joining us and yeah we look forward to keeping close we've got thomas appleton coming on the podcast in a few weeks actually uh, just after the England day game, so we look forward to speaking to him, and well, we'll say hi on your behalf.
4: Oh, and and just to say, Francisco, that um, that I've just heard from Wales that they're interested to know if Portela has any Welsh grandparents. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, well, I don't, I don't know. Portela is a very Portuguese name, but I can, I can ask him if he wants to play for Wales. Let's let's see. Uh, with Appleton, you can do a question to to him to make him laugh a bit. Is who who is the best player at it at their peak? If him or his brother Francisco, who lives in London, so <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> because they played in the national team together. Yeah, and they are some years apart, but they played together, and it's an interesting question to do to, to Tomás. He's uh-huh. going to say his Francisco, Does Francisco
2: still play then in London, or is he retired?
1: No, he 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 retired. He's an old boy now, is he? He's an old boy now. Isn't <laughs> Amazing. Wow.
2: To Francisco. Thanks a million for uh, you Thank know you. dropping in today. It's Been brilliant here, and we know what a great job you do with the uh, REC and T, you know, Tier Two rugby in Europe. We, we rely on guys like you to keep us informed and know what's happening.
1: Hundred percent. Thank you very much. For brilliant it.
0: speaking to you. Great fun. Okay. Okay. Very good to speak to you. Take care, Francisco. Cheers. Care Thank bye. you.
3: Ciao. Bye.
0: bye. Uh, right. Um, Chewy's walked off. I don't really know why. Uh, <laughs> close the door the dog went for a piss <laughs> I thought you'd had enough to, uh, discussion as well uh, we'll talk about the England squad for 15 50 minutes or so um, it was announced god I lose track of days at the moment yesterday Either, yes, I think it was yesterday yeah Wednesday was, yeah. Jamie George captaincy so probably quite a conservative choice uh, very different to Wales the, the route root Wales have opted for um, Nick any well you usually have some things to pick apart with it, so I won't say any surprises. But what do you make of it? Well,
3: um, he, he he, Jamie George wouldn't have been my choice as captain. I've um I've I've backed Maro Iodji's credentials all the way. Um, I'm a little bit concerned that uh, he might George might end up given it, you know, an age profile of 33, in the same boat as Hartley um with a uh, young guy like uh, Theo Dan breathing down his neck and Luke Cowan Dickie coming back into uh into the frame and fitness so that that's one thing um i um look o- overall i sort of think that there's I- i'm quite surprised by you know by um some of the uh, players uh, brought in there are very few one of the things I noticed is just how few uh, wings there are um you know i mean Freeman's obviously a utility, but other than Freeman, I think that there's um there's you know there's just Tom Roebuck and um uh emmanuel Waboso, and that's 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 virtually it um so I think that there's there are there are issues. With the back line, some of the new forwards i like um uh, Chandler Cunningham south I don't know enough about ethan roots um I think he's he he's certainly rugged I don't know whether he's got the uh, the pace um for 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 the international game. I was quite surprised when um I heard that borthwick had, had it was Richard hill who sort of was looking at a a clip of um of Ethan Roots and said, come and have a look at this guy. And uh, he seems now to have, you know, a a burst into the firmament. There's so much um, to be proved after the world cup. You know, they've got to change the way that they play. They've got to produce a, a style of rugby that, you know, that, that gets England supporters enthused by the way that they're playing. And that didn't happen at the world cup. And the argument that they are not the third best team in the world will no doubt trickle <laughs> trickle onwards, but they definitely aren't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's my uh, my initial take on it, and um, lots of you know lots of conundrums. You know, I mean Ford or or Marcus Smith or, or Finn Smith uh, for that matter. Um, Just we'll have Maggie Smith yeah
2: yeah no, know Maggie Smith i mean yeah. the, the big the bigger mission is surely Joe and a singer um mm. although I have, immediately having said that, I can see possibly he had a very poor game defensively and didn't he, in the first half against Rassing, but then as he does, he came back with some big plays, so I can possibly see why he hasn't gone from there i mean I, I, the thing is as Nick says, the hard work starts now, really, you know the selection. Issues haven't gone away. They're still the same. So, what do you do with some like? I mean, George Furbank is the form player in the Premiership this year. You could play him at 15. You could play him at 10, where he's played for Northampton. Obviously, that's not going to happen. You could play him at 12. To me, he's Nick Tompkins. He's England's Nick Tompkins, given that England can't have Nick Tompkins, even though he's English. I mean, George Furbank could play anywhere. And I was amazed to see him absolutely obliterate Andre Estherhausen when they played. Queens. he buried him three or four times you know he's a very tough tackler i think england are going to have to find room for him somewhere now whether it's a straight shootout between him and freddie stewart at fullback or something really radical as you know i think freddie stewart could be a 12 i think george furbank could be a 12 but, but then- you've got henry Stade in form uh they absolutely mustn't pick ollie lawrence at 12 he has to pick it play at 13 and the other player i'm delighted who is in And I've only really picked up on him in the last couple of months. And every time I watch him now, he's the player of the match. And that's Alex Coles from Northampton. He is a young Courtney Laws. He's got it all. He's got line out. He's got tackling. He's got strength. He gets around the park. He's got attitude. Um, So, again, that's going to complicate things for England. I don't think they really thought of him as a starter two or three months ago. I definitely think he's in the mix now as a starter somewhere. Um, So I think it's a pretty sound selection. Uh, but the hard work starts now.
0: Hmm. Chewy, any names to add to that list about, well, names you're excited about or emissions? a missions, Singer was well, my big I'm, one.
4: I'm disappointed not to see Mercer in there. Um, uh, I mean, I know he had a, like a public shrugging off from Alex Dombrant in the big game, but I can't believe that any intelligent coaches base decisions around one incident. He also made about 4,000 carries in that game for Gloucester. So, um, so I'm, I mean, something's gone on there for sure. I mean, you, you know, I mean, I'm not saying there's, there's like a personal falling out between him and Borthwick, but they clearly don't see eye to eye or Borthwick doesn't see Mercer's style as something which is going to add value to his England selection. Besides that, I completely agree with Brendan. I think I, Next Pulse has had a, a sensational few weeks, as of Northampton. And and Quinn's are playing some terrific rugby. And there are a lot of players from both clubs, from those two clubs in 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 the shake up, which is good from that point of view. It's an intelligently selected, evidence-based, you know, um um squad. I don't have a problem with it at all. My my issue will be how do you create an environment or a style of play? which which gets the most from a Northampton and Harlequins contingent who play at a very high temper and are playing a lot of counter-attacking stuff from all over the field. In fact, they're doing loads and loads of stuff that England haven't done for God knows how long. Mm. And, you know, Richard Wigglesworth, for whom I have great admiration, or I have great admiration as a player, very intelligent player, um, but he's, you know, he's the guy running the attacking game, supposedly. And I, I don't quite see much of Nick Evans or Sam Vesty in Richard Wigglesworth, no, just not in the mindset. Mm. Um, you know, Wigglesworth was a brilliant percentage scrum half who did all the right things in all the right places to maximize any advantage that you were exerting up front. Um, that's not the way Northampton Larder Queens play particularly they do other things so if you're going to pick their players are you going to say come in and do what you do at club level insofar as you know you can do it within a single structure or are you going to have to shift focus and do some other things that we want you to do because we want you to play this style of rugby so as ever you know they might have the right players, but whether they're playing the right game for them, I don't know. Just on Jamie George, I, I slightly disagree with Nick. I, I can see his point, but I think I think Jamie George is a feel-good individual. I mean, he's the world's nicest bloke, Jamie. I mean, and that's not disparage him in a rugby sense. He is a really good bloke. He is exceptionally popular as far as I understand it. He certainly was at Saracens. Uh, you know, when I was in the front line of doing the, the day-to-day stuff, you know, no one ever had a bad word to say for Jamie. He is pretty vocal. I think he can encourage people and press the right buttons in the right way. I'm sure he'll be absolutely brilliant at um, at, at playing that link between the players and the coaching staff. Um And he's a very, very good player still. He might be a yard past his best now, Jamie, actually, but he, he, he's a very good player and he's still the best line-out thrower. Um, you know, so... As far as I'm concerned, I don't have a problem with with, with the captaincy decision. I just hope that England uh, look into player style, which is going to maximise the talents of the people in the squad.
3: Itoji's dropped off a little bit um, over a period. He came back um, during the World Cup. He's been playing well in a Saracen side that isn't playing very well. In terms of the player, the England player over the last six years. There is one guy who stands out as a world class forward, and that is Itoji. Yeah. And that is why I would have picked him. I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, if you're going
4: to make the judgment on, on, on form and ability and sort of achievement and all the rest of it, I mean, he has been England's standout player. And he's quite, an articulate man as well. For, for quite a, he's a very articulate bloke. What I don't know, and 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 I mean, I really, I'm not raising this because I sort of have my suspicions. What I don't know is how popular a figure, how cohesive a figure he is behind the scenes with his, you know, with his teammates. Is he a sort of man of the people type guy? I mean, I mean he, he he may he may be in that environment, a rather patrician figure. He's a highly intelligent bloke, Itoge, and as you say, extremely articulate. It may be that he could be one of those captains who's got a bit of separation from the the players. He's, as I say, a rather patrician type. Jamie George wouldn't be that. Jamie George would be right in the thick of the common people kind of thing. Um, So I, I don't know. I don't know whether they think that Itoge carries enough of a load Given his preeminence as an England player in recent years, not to chuck something else on his shoulders—that made—I that, mean—that's perfectly reasonable if if, if that's a reason. I don't know why he's not captain, but there must be a reason. And um, because if you were just doing it on, you know, we're going to give our best player the reins, then Mario Toje is the best player in England as well. Yeah. So,
3: and I, I, I guess there must be a reason around you, you know Singer and Mercer as well. You know there are. Aspects of it where you could see that players that they didn't quite uh sort of catch light, if you like, with Eddie Jones. Cochina Seagull were certainly one. Mm. And um so it was Ben Earl. Yeah, so yeah. was Ben Earl. Yeah, that, that's that is, there, yeah. that is a difference. You know, Earl has come on uh with Bulquick, but um, you know, I mean, I I, I don't know about uh, about what yourself and Brendan think, but I don't really want to see him uh, playing number eight, um, you know, in this Six Nations, I don't think that it's ultimately he's a very, very good number seven. And That's where there's a
2: good chance you know, now for him to play seven with Tom Curry absent.
3: Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, Sam Sam Underhill, when, you know, when he plays for Bath, he's playing exceptionally well, and I mean, and Richard Hill. Going back to your comments about Richard. Uh, and 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 Ethan Roots. I mean, Richard Hill was the first bloke to clap eyes on Underhill hmm. when he was playing down in down in the depths of Wales. <laughs> no one in English rugby much heard of him. And Richard said, "Here's your here's your bloke," and and of course Tom Curry then emerged quite quickly afterwards. And and you know they they were they 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 played as two open sides in the 2019 World Cup and and were very influential in getting to the final, so I mean they have, do have options there, but yes, I agree with you i i I think Earl brilliantly though he played during the World Cup, might lose a couple of percentage points from his optimum position by playing at number eight he, yeah. he, you know, he's, he's probably as he is a seven, really isn't
3: he when it comes to fli- you know flicking the switch in attack. That's going to be the, the the key issue for England, I think, going into the into this Six Nations. And the person that we haven't talked about is Felix Jones. Now, Felix Jones is known as an attack coach primarily, and it's very interesting that England have shoehorned him into their setup as defence coach. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, my feeling is is that Jones will act as one of those coaches who, who a little bit like uh, Wayne Smith did, will do both because well, are... almost
4: like a transition coach.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. the two are are linked and, and Wigglesworth on the, on the showing, you know, Wigglesworth is still very, very inexperienced as a coach. Mm. And, you know, the, from, from the evidence of what we saw during the world cup, he needs support in you know in terms of the England attack and how the England attack is built. And that is going to be the key thing, I think, during this uh, during this Six Nations. Well, I think
4: I think transition's the so, key thing in rugby all round, isn't it? I mean the all blacks have been sensational at it for ever and a day now.
2: It's um, what Sean Edwards does. Sean Edwards says that defence is the first phase of attack. I mean, did and did he gets get, hired um, everywhere as a defence coach, but he has as much input on yeah. that, attack as that's anybody. Good. And if you look at the way the French sides
4: played last week, I mean Toulouse, Bordeaux, and La Rochelle in a slightly different way, but their transition, their their attacking, their attack from
3: transition situations was yeah. absolutely sensational. Sensational. Yeah. Those the, the, those people who were trumpeting the demise of the uh, of the top fourteen a couple of weeks ago oh. or three or four weeks ago couldn't have been further off the mark. When you look at what Bordeaux produced, with a team who, who uh, a lot of them, I mean, outside, um, uh, you know, uh, Jalibert and penno I'm not sure that the rest are, uh, are household names. They nope. were phenomenal against Saracens, who were extraordinarily poor, and Owen Farrell appeared to have the weight of the world on his shoulders, despite having, um, you know, apparently sloughed it off by uh, retiring from the international game for a bit. Um, La Rochelle destroyed Leicester. And, um, you know, and, and although it wasn't a French side, um, Bristol were put to the sword by by the Bulls uh, at Ashton Gate. So, you know, the idea that the premiership is, you know, flying high, Northampton are certainly playing a very good uh, brand of rugby Um Quins were destroyed when they played Toulouse, who did a number on Ulster uh, at Ravenhill, which doesn't happen or uh, which doesn't oh. happen very often at the Kingspan. So, you know, um, yeah, I, 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 it sort of tells you in a way where we are with uh, with England with England as a team as well. You know, it's it's. They're they're very definitely in a transition, and it is going to be fascinating to see how Borthwick negotiates it. I
4: mean, going back to that England style, and does it is it is it in any way sort of contradictory in terms of of some of the players? They're asking to play it. It, it does seem to me that Alex. I know international rugby is meant to be a big step up from club rugby or your Premiership rugby or Champions Cup rugby, but take somebody like Alex Mitchell. He he doesn't he doesn't play for England quite with the fizz and the, the imagination and the and and the sort of risk taking almost a sort of joie de vivre almost that he shows with Northampton.
1: Oh, and I, he I, not,
3: I, he's he's not kicking the. Kicking the skin off the ball. Well,
4: well, you've you you've you've just ended one of my more rambling sentences um, and and been very succinct. Thank you, Nick. Uh, you've you you brought everything to a logical conclusion. Um, <laughs> but but you know what I'm saying. He's, he 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 does seem to be just slightly straight jacketed
0: mm.
4: by the England environment.
0: Going back to the captaincy debate, obviously with Jeff Prober a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Ellis Genge or having a front row as captain and. Obviously, one of the issues that was cited was, okay, promos don't play a full 80 minutes anymore. It leaves you with a sort of pseudo-captain for 20 of those. One, does this mean that Jamie George, like he did in the quarterfinal, semifinal, plays whole games, if not most of the game, leaving someone like Theo Dan in the wings without getting much game time? Or... Apart from Itoje, there's not really an obvious candidate. Ford's not a guaranteed starter with Smith to be captain and take over the reins once George goes off at 55, 60 minutes.
2: That's a really good point, actually. I mean, Jamie George is one of those guys who can easily play 80. He, he I don't think he has um, fitness issues at all. He just chugs along for 80 minutes. But the ridiculous thing is, Theo Dan is a brilliant guy to bring off the bench. If you want the best 80-minute performance by your number two player there's a strong argument to have Jamie George off after about 55 yeah. an hour and bring Theo down on because he really is an impact player. And I hate using that expression, uh, but he is a proper impact player off the bench. So again, that's one England have got to work out there.
4: Well, of course, Ford, of course they may use Ford is, is another, is the other captain thinking yeah. he's going to play the last quarter of an hour or so of a, of a big proportion of the games. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if if George Ball came off the bench as captain um, in some of those Absolutely, six yeah. nations
3: matches. And one of, yeah. one of the issues around around Ellis Genge is obviously you know I mean, um, Sinclair has been dropped from this uh, from this squad. Uh, Genge is still there, but Genge's scrummaging credentials, are, you know, were not um, in the in the test uh, you know at test level. When it came to the last knockings of the of, of the World Cup, or actually, I'd argue during the course of the World Cup, England have still got issues at the scrum. Um, you know, I, you, you, when you see Joe Hayes and Will Stewart as the backup at tight to the thirty. How how old Dan Cole now? Thirty seventy two. Thirty <laughs> seven. You know, I mean, you, you realise that that there are still issues there. And um, uh, at loose head, obviously the number of injuries they've got. The, the, I'm thankful that Beno Obaro has come through pretty strongly this season, um, yeah. and uh, hopefully, if Joe Mahler is not uh, there to uh, pick up where he left off um, at the Stade de France in the uh, in the semi final, you know, then Obaro um, will get uh, will will get his chance. But England really need to address their scrum issues because it's very clear from the last round of the European Cup and the way that the uh, you know Saracens and Leicester were dusted that if the, if they can't you know if they cannot get good ball from the scrummage and if they are not do not provide a stable base everything else that they're trying to do is on skates I saw, I saw a piece somewhere saying that that,
4: that Galtier could, I mean, I mean, I mean, genuinely could pick a pack of forwards, the first pack of forwards I think in history that will be a thousand kilograms. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it, it, it depends. I think it, the whole thing is contingent. On them dropping Waki, which I think is unlikely because he's, he's bringing in he's some player, um, and picking Meafu and Taufi mm. Yeah. in the second round. If they do that, and and an old Uini is still <laughs> a tight head, mm-hmm. that pack of French forwards will be a thousand kilograms plus. Yeah, that's,
0: that's quite a lot. And then you oh, can pick Pasolo oh. to Alangi at six in a couple of years as well. <laughs> What a I mean, solo? A, a, a solo tour, like yeah, that 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 could be the first eleven hundred kilo pack ever. Yeah, and that's yeah. just from, that's just from three players.
2: I <laughs> see that as he hasn't got his passport and isn't eligible. uh, He's like playing the under twenty World Cup again this summer. He isn't eligible for Le Bleu, so that's a, something to look forward to for our under twenty chaps.
4: Yeah, it, it, it is it is it. I, I'd still look back on that under twenties, and this is why I think. I mean, it may not be this year because obviously they've lost Dupont mm-hmm. and, and you, you don't shrug that off. I mean, uh, he just reaffirmed in Belfast last weekend. I mean, the bloke's borderline like genius. Uh, I mean, in rugby terms. He may well he be really the, the best guy I've ever seen. Oh,
2: yeah.
4: I, mean, I, I mean, people of our age always said Gareth, didn't we? You know, I mean, if you were naming your... You're, you're sort of you're, you're 15 of you know anyone you've ever seen play. It was always Gareth was pretty quickly on the on the on the team sheet for most people. I mean, Nick looks as though he's about to disagree, which is fair enough because because he's
3: weird. But oh, it, we can, it, I, I just it, remember how much Edwards <laughs> won during his career and how inspirational he was. Well, um, prepared to well, just do the snap judgment. And say that DuPont what is. I would say is
2: that DuPont not only is brilliant for France, but he's been brilliant in 191 oh. matches,
3: whatever it is. It, it's for
2: Castro and to lose. Now, Gareth Edwards wasn't always brilliant for Cardiff. And, In fact, he played fairly sparingly for Cardiff on occasions and some seasons. Well, he always had a
4: Christmas hamstring, didn't so,
2: he? So, uh, I would say I, you know, I they are two of the three or four greatest players ever, but I actually put DuPont
3: ahead of Edwards at the moment.
4: He, he's yeah. he's the, anyway, the, what, what I was going to say about the French is that under 20, 1974
3: Lions, God knows how many Welsh Grand, grand Slams. I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm not there. Let's that, save this for another
2: program. That, yeah. that, back that, the that French 20s. under
4: 20 side, going forward, they are I mean, that whole back row that they had, the half backs they had, um, old um Arno Cost kid in midfield and what have you. I mean, they that was an extraordinary team, you know. Extraordinary team. And a lot of those are being fed into top 14 rugby now. Gazotti's playing. Baptiste Cheneau's playing for Clermont and It's not going to be long before that new generation is, you know, sort of in the, the wider French test squad. And they, they've got a tremendous
3: I think it was Le, Le Garek one of them or not? Yeah. Oh, well
4: no, he no no uh, not, he wasn't, not he wasn't in the last one, but he's a good player. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. is a very good player. I mean, I mean, we know we know the French generally have scramals, don't they? I mean, yeah. by and large. Um, and, and they're going to have a whole fistful of them going forward because um, he's very good. I'm looking forward to seeing him play in the Six Nations. I think he's a good player.
0: They've just brought in the, another one as well, Deporter. Uh, yeah. Him uh, I don't center. Bordeaux. Bordeaux centre, yeah, he's a good player, and he's obviously been tearing up in that Bordeaux back line. So... Yeah. Well, obviously, we, we've got Jerry Guscott for the the and, traditional Six Nations preview. We'll be and, talking about France then, and how and, and it's perfectly
4: possible on last week's evidence that Jalabert is going to make Untermatt an
0: irrelevance. Well, that's quite scary. Can we find Untermatt an English passport?
2: He wants to go and play Super Rugby, doesn't he? I think I was reading. I mean, but, I've always thought Jalabert was a better all-round player than Untermatt. Untermatt was brilliant in bits. But yeah. Jalibear has always been the more complete ten. But again, that can we can save that for next week. But
3: Jallibear has was always who was it who scored a brilliant try in the uh, in the top fourteen
2: Yeah, and he had an absolute dog of a match until that
3: moment. Oh, that he was
2: Gareth Edwards. That is isn't one genius moment, but he nearly lost to the match as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's always been Jalibert defensively has been a has been the question mark. Um Or that's my take on it from the outside, but no, let's let's sort of save the how each nation. Well, this is the
4: English disease, Ollie, isn't it? you are. You see, you've fallen for it. Your your default position is how well does he tackle?
0: (laughs) Ask Evan Ezabeth how well he tackles.
3: Yeah, they're lucky to have both, aren't they?
0: Oh, they no, seriously, lappy. they really, really are. No, uh, the form of all the top 14 sides is a very, very scary prospect. And I think, well, I'm sort of nailing my colours Not to
3: by mind. on, mate, not by on.
0: Oh. Right, well, we'll, igno- we'll ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, look, there's, I think the only other thing to mention is David Jenkins being, I think he's the youngest Welsh captain ever, I think is the stat. Um but I think I think so, that's, yeah. uh, that's just worth a, a fleet a fleeting mention after all the sort of the resumit stuff has over overshadowed it. Um
4: well, well Gatland Gatland's got a track record on this, you know. I mean he picked Warburton out of nowhere Skipper.
0: Yeah, well exactly. Yeah. I mean you I
4: mean you could say that Jeff Cook picked Carney almost out of nowhere as Skipper, but I I mean a couple of times during that first long spell in Wales, Gatland picked you know, he put his faith in some very unfamiliar players, some young players, and he sort of gave them a shot. Whether it works for him again this time, who knows? But he's, um, you know, he's he's not the worst at seeing captaincy material.
2: No. As Rob no. Baxter knows his onions, and he's been singing Jenkins' yeah. play throughout three years now, and he made him captain this year. Um I think he's the real deal, and he's a hardcore proper. Yeah, he's, a he's a, a real. Alan real. He's Alan wynne Jones he's going to win 150 caps and all that. He's
3: stuff. A, he's a dog of a player there's no question about that. He's got um he he's got a lot of grit and a big ticker um and he's He's going to need it with that squad, isn't he? He's athletic. Yeah, he will need it. He will need it.
4: Yeah. I I mean it does look paper thin. I, I mean look, you know, I mean it's we're not. I mean, I'm. am not on the inside track here. I don't go to training. I don't. I don't see what 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 the coaches are seeing from from some of these relatively unfamiliar players. And we all know what a what, what a state the Welsh domestic game is 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 in. Um, but on the face of it, that looks
0: that looks a very thin squad. I Do think that you know, let know. Faye will also slide as well. In that, from what I've heard, Gatlin didn't even speak to him before the decision was made. And obviously, he wasn't to know that Rhys would jump ship. But it would seem like if if he had managed to persuade him to play for Wales, they had the perfect replacement, locked and loaded.
4: Yeah. I mean- well, well, I, the, the the way I heard it is Rhys tried to get through several times, but Gatlin was dictating his telegraph
3: column. <laughs> Go back to the World Cup. Wales didn't look. Um, Wales really didn't look any worse than England. No. No, but since then they look better.
4: Since then they've lost a couple, men. I, I mean, and Jack Morgan's a big miss for them now.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. Oh.
0: And he was obviously a Warren Gatlin pick as captain as well. So yeah, I mean, just going back to the captaincy front, Chris, you're right. Warren Gatland does have a track record. Yeah, for unearthing Maro tojo like captains, and what we've said should have been done with the Tojo from the start, from an early age um so that could be a very very good pick but you're right what whales are looking slightly scant let's save the six nations preview for a couple of weeks time with jerry guscott we've sort of um slightly turned over the leaf there but we will do so in more and more detail um in the lead up to that first fixture but yeah as brendan said the hard work starts now um thanks so much for joining me again guys i'll see you just in a couple of weeks and From a couple of weeks onwards, just for listeners, we'll be going back to weekly episodes. So we've got a jam-packed schedule. Every single guest already lined up uh, for a very exciting Six Nations period. So we look forward to seeing you all then. After a dramatic Rugby World Cup, all eyes are now on the Guinness Six Nations. Make it a special day with friends, family, teammates, colleagues or clients by booking an exceptional official hospitality experience with our friends at Keith Prowse, Principal Sales Partner to England Rugby Hospitality. Their match day experience in the gate really has to be seen to be believed. So book your experience now and make memories that will last a lifetime. Visit keithprouse.co.uk forward slash the Rugby Paper now. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday and to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.